Dear Tammy, I'm sorry to inform you of the death of Joan Rivers. She died on a plastic surgeon's cot at Yorkville Endoscopy on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I mean, some people were like glad that she's dead. I mean, her politics were kind of shit, L.A. Charlie decidedly, but she was so funny. And in my opinion, made more people's lives better than SN2012FB, although SN2012FB never publicly devalued the lives of the oppressed as far as I know. I mean, I don't have access to the transgalactic social media platforms where massive astral bodies hanging out in space call each other out relentlessly with all that dust and schadenfreude. Um, anyway, its impact here on Earth was minimal. When it blew and we saw it streak across the black bruised night sky, it was beautiful. And for anybody who, ha who happened to be tripping clit on truffle mushrooms, it may have even been unforgettable. But in the scheme of collective human memory, it was a blip. Joan, on the other hand, was a vivid fire for millions, even the ones who hate her can't help but feel repugnant warmth around their pectorals and clavicles. Compared to SN2012FBs, her death was unremarkable. There was no auto de fe rapid plummet, just a trend toward the cessation of breathing clean doctor's office air, room that's never known the light of heaven. Do you think the stars know we sit around in the night waiting to watch their corpses topple, and when we do, we call it lucky? Do they fear us as evil St. Peter's, depriving ourselves of sleep just to watch their spectacular demise? Interviewers asked Andy Warhol what he was most afraid of, and he would say, dying in my sleep. Joan Rivers did that, if you can call anesthesia sleep. So did Andy Warhol, actually, but at least he died in his own bed, all tucked into those corset PJs or whatever. Silver cloud of dreams, the stars come down to earth on downy portraiture to carry him away to that speedy heaven for those born to live in perpetual twilight. I don't really care where I die, why would I? I'd prefer it not be in an airplane or on a toilet. Although if it's on an airplane, I don't really care if I'm on the toilet or not. <laughs> That's just my, those are my basic demands. But why not asleep? I'm used to all my, being, my dreams being interrupted anyway by a shrieking beep hours before my body would rise of its own accord. Dear Allie, I'm sorry to inform you of the death of Joe Cocker. When I heard he died, I realized I knew so little about him. His entire life is signified for me by a few minutes jerking his body around a stage in upstate New York, singing a Beatles tune unforgettably. And in this way, he's a little like F.W. Chetwood, who is only known to us now because he made a list of all of Shakespeare's plays in 1750, and his list was like completely fucking wrong. <laughs> I think of the life in which this poem is the sole text anyone would remember me by. The sleek halls of this museum, a staid and relatively sober Woodstock, me standing in front of you singing pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
but I'm singing this song about all my friends getting by with a little help from them, getting high with a little help from them. And indeed, if I did not have to finish this talk in 15 minutes and take Bart back to work, I would happily lean on any of you for a splendid astral toke of OG headband. Oh, Joe, no one doubts you would have been a remarkable partner for getting by or high together. Now you're with your friends the stars, maybe? Twinkling with all that chest dust, agitating Andromeda as one by one its lights too expire, moaning forever in the bright sticks of the transgalactic rural. I just think you're up there, cherry twinkling. Or is there like a heaven for Woodstock performers? <laughs> I mean, some would probably say a hell, but I don't know. I could easily imagine a worse cohort to eternally get by with, like a LinkedIn bus chugging down 280 for an obvious instance. Hello. Hi. A lot of non-stars died too. They do every day. It's city block common, as Dana writes. Freddie Gray died of that's death and not something particular to a national spirit of systematic waste. I'm sorry to inform you, I am so sorry to inform you that Michael Brown and Tony Robinson Jr. is dead and Eric Garner died and Rumaine Brisbane and Tamir Rice and Akay Gurley and Kajimi Powell and Sandra Bland and Nate Wilkes and Azel Ford and Dante Parker and John Crawford III and Tyree Woodson and Victor White III and Yvette Smith and, and, and Mackenzie Cochran and Jordan Baker and Kimani Gray and, and Jonathan Farrell died and Chavez Carter is dead. Mostly their killers still stalk the streets with guns in their hand. I mean, one or two had to move to Nevada and oversee a Starbucks Chipotle row shop in hot sand. They all breathe in and out, thieves of luminescence. I would even take the LinkedIn bus over them. <laughs> Hi. Hello. I will always remember the night Michael Jackson died. It was my birthday. My life so perverse and human compared to MJ's molten demigod exoskeleton. Jackson is arguably the biggest star to have ever died in the entire history of gazing, the biggest one. It was the end of the workday when suddenly everyone collectively gasped. Mid-gold bricking, our perfectly composed wigs cracked and light came through the cracks. It was the light of Michael Jackson's spirit on earth passing through us like hairs through a comb. Nobody wanted to admit they were looking into the dark rectangles of contemporary non-productive office life, just waiting for something like this to happen. Like how Farrah Fawcett died that day and Ed McMahon died that day, but then something unprecedented for which there was no simile. Jody said, I wonder which Eastern European country's government will collapse first. And we laughed, but then, right? Um, Suzanne and I went to dinner. We were speechless about the death of Michael Jackson. He was not just any star, he was our son, you see, which intervenes in earthly matters. Every day, like, ouch, I'm burning up. We circled around him, who circled around us, reciprocally, in love. Later, I was having a drink with Sarah and Dinah and listening to Michael Jackson. Ellen came home, and by coincidence, her grandmother had died that very day. When she saw Sarah had been crying, she rolled her eyes and said, I actually lost someone. But stars in their lives have a way of adapting to our changing ecosystem so as to feel they too are actually part of our lives as much as any aunt or whatever. Dear Dana, 
I'm sorry to inform you of the death of Darren Winfield. He was briefly the Marlboro Man. You can figure out the rest. <laughs> Fuck. I miss smoking. Smoking me is dead. Died unwillingly and in much duress. Is now in bardo of gross excess. Smoking like 400 menthols at once. Immortal, but pissed. Like a poltergeist in an empty house with no kid around to scare shitless. <laughs> I'd go visit him, but it will be too tempting down there. And I'm going to keep my internal gases pumping a little longer if I can. A while ago, Eileen asked me for my address, and I said, I hope you are not putting out a hit on me, as I have a lot of stuff left to do. So I get that guilty astronaut feeling when I sit and watch Bob's Burgers, when I could be mastering Aramaic or whatever. I don't know, but even stars chill out sometimes. I mean, actually, that's kind of all they do, right? Lay out in space, zoned on their own dust and heat, gaining weight and intensity until they rupture, trying to grab another breath, but then burst, shrapnel falling for a million years, before we see a little white blip fall from the top of black half dome, half dome into whatever Cylon purgatory awaits. Like, a million years is a while to fall. Dear Lindsay, I'm sorry to inform you of the death of Leslie Gore. She famously realized a Magna Carta for all party hosts whose tears found a champion. But my favorite song of hers was You Don't Own Me, a feminist track stardust years ahead of its time. No one owns a star, no one really mourns it. And I should know, as I'm reading this right in front of Katie Patterson's dying star letters, probably the most robust effort by an earthling ever to recognize the astral graveyard growing with bodies, pauper dwarves and novas and supernovas and not-so-supernovas. <laughs> I'm describing Patterson's piece to David. He gives me this look, so I point to the ceiling, so he knows I ta I'm talking about massive roaring flames in the middle freezing nothingness, not a Kardashian. Patterson's dying star letters is finally a little detached and clinical because to love a star is to pretend, I mean, to love a star enough to even pretend and mourn it is an abstract experience requiring major projection of feelings onto these lazy masses of like shit hanging out with their little wan luminescence. Her tone in the letters is extremely matter of fact, like a newspaper column reciting this week's war dead or one of those highway signs honoring some dead highway patrolman, like who cares except for that shadowy entity known as the cop's family. And this seems right in her piece. Everybody with a cousin knows the difference between a cousin and a star, and how can you mourn what you do not own? I mean, what you do not even know. Leslie Gore had relatives. They were probably really sad. My friends and I were sad. I mean, we didn't even know her. But you know what? It's our crumbling ecosystem, decaying float and nothingness, squirting cum, making art, slurping bivalves, refusing Hotel California decidedly forever, sexting in the bar of the Hotel Rex because it's Sunday and, and we are so horny and separated by so much distance like the Milky Way from Andromeda and we can cry if we want to. And we do want to because the party frequently feels like shit despite the bivalves and laughs, OG headband and Leslie Gore. Sometimes I can't even tell where the party ends and the police begin. 
and that is a dire situation. Hello. Dear Katie, I'm sorry to inform you of the death of Rod McEwen. Um, dear John, dear Erica, I'm sorry to inform you of the death of Ann Woods, probably the greatest female Gurner who ever lived. She won the title 28 times. Gurning, if you don't know, is like a totally weird sport whose athletes compete to see who can make the weirdest face. They call the winner the world's ugliest person. I guess it's worth it for the glory of victory, no matter how like, dubious the honor. Weird to think how little any of us thought of her as she blew a last breath out of her very pliant mouth. But in gurning circles, she was LeBron. <laughs> I hoped to one day meet one of her many fans. I you know, could wow them with my shallow but still rare knowledge of any gurner and then ask them for details of her greatness, what in particular made her the great one. I'm sure you're hearing my subtle refusal to elaborate on the career of Rod McEwen as a snub, but no. I mean, kind of. But I'm sure he was actually a great writer. He kind of had to be, to garner so much love from that huge demographic of people poets call non-poets. <laughs> No, just kidding. We love you. We really need you. you. We will never know that we're stars unless you come with your immense generosity to read our pathetic posy. Jesus, good for Rod McEwen to have broken down that ivory wall in this republic. Come to life. You can't sing in praise of stars you can't see. Every letter is an obituary of some deceased feeling like, I loved you and I still do. I loved you when you were nerdy and Canadian as Drake. Dear Dad, I'm sorry to inform you of the death of Leonard Nimoy. He spent his life pretending to sail among the stars on some Baroque, vague, colonial cop enterprise, <laughs> ray gunning the shit out of anyone who would unwisely cross him or his comrades. I don't watch this show as in my dotage, I've stopped watching any show whose protagonists are cops if it covers up their little wiggling um, uh, pigtails. Although my ignorance of Star Trek also prevents me from describing the inevitable Seuss Van rebels nurtured by the shadowy cleft and cliffs of distant planets so far away in space, no starlight even reaches them. I mean, it's not Leonard Nimoy's fault. He just walked around a soundstage in Century City, California, and got a check. I saw his apartment once in Vancouver, just a bunch of plants on a balcony, fauna not native to Vancouver, maybe from Vulcan, I guess. I guess when he was alive, millions of people thought about him with enormous pleasure and awe. In Romulan, the word for death is lata. If it is an honorable death, dalata. The idea of an afterlife is that when you die, you meet like the blessed exchequer who reviews your financial activity. Right? If you made a profit on earth, then you get to go to like their heaven, right? And you get to bid on a new life by celestial auctioneers. But if you were poor, you were damned to the vault of eternal destruction. There are not a lot of stars in this vault but see you there, right? See you when I see you. I'll be there, stellar, broke, like the big trunk of this 2,000-year-old tree which a volcano in Calistoga flattened like matchsticks, the sign said. 
The volcano made the Cabernet of Napa Valley famous, but as for the millennial sequoias, they lay under, they lay under ash until their cells, one by one, were transformed into silica, and now they rest just where they fell, like matchsticks, only they're not like wood anymore, but quartz, and if you manage to carve into their width and breadth and inspect them in the sun, the light of our star, the biggest and baddest star we know, bigger than Michael, Madonna, LeBron combined. It made the light that inspired the lights that shone upon them their entire lives. These trees sparkle and gleam like the skin of a wandering cullen in the dismal forest of the Pacific Northwest, for which there is no word in Romulan, for which you can roam for years only seeing werewolves and glittery carnivorous white people. Hello. I'm writing to inform you that in these woods, there's twilight, and there's twi-dark, and you can't see the stars in either, but you know they're there, watching down, bright, mortal, jealous. Um, thanks for listening, you guys. <laughs> <laughs>